Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of We Are Here Tomorrow. This is season two, episode seven. I'm Zach. John is on the other side of me. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. And we have a treat for you today in the Halloween spirit. Um, So today we are going to be talking or we're going to be looking into the present and the future story of elderly care and how machines may or may not play a significant role. Okay, so that is a pretty vague statement, how machines may help grandma. John, what are we going to talk about? And more importantly, what aren't we going to be talking about today? Right. So so we're going to be talking mostly about that care, specifically of elderly care. So when old people get older, and we're also going to kind of include disabled people because they're in an adjacent part. And we'll get into mm-hmm. exactly what types of care we're talking about. But an activity that like, you know, Zach, you, if you are a caregiver, things that you would perform. So uh, we will be... C- referring to these care recipients sometimes as caregivees or clients. There isn't one great word right. that, that captures it all. Sometimes we'll just call them elderly people, but we also kind of include mm-hmm. those disabled individuals that also need assistance. What's not in scope, we're not talking about health tech, you know, treatments for the aged and disabled. We're not talking okay, about- so no drugs. No drugs, no fancy things okay. like that. No bodily enhancement with sci-fi tools like exoskeletons or cognitive modulating techniques of any sort. Uh, Basically just that kind of basic care that you think of day to day. Right, right. And so this was an or a topic that John pitched to me. And honestly, I thought it was going to be a little bit of a softball, if I'm being honest. Uh, When we started the research, I was kind of thinking we are going to find a lot of sensationalist articles on your personal robot caregiver is right around the corner. And there are definitely a lot of those. Popular science, God bless their overly <laughs> optimistic souls, just has like, yes. like just every couple of years an editorial since like the dawn of the 21st century on a robot that's going to be able to match humans in some sort of like caregiving capacity. But last time I checked, retirement homes were still staffed by flesh and blood people. So what is the hitch there? Why are robots not taking care of grandma in 2020? And will they be in 2040? Let's find out. You know, as we look forward, I think it's sometimes worth looking back a little bit. So, uh, Zach, I've got a a commercial from 1999, 21 years ago, that I'd like you to click on that link and talk me through what you're seeing. He's my pal 2000. Hey, dude. What's up? Let's play games. Blue. Green. Okay. Yellow. He does what I say. It's like a plastic robot. Yeah. Oops. Dude, boy. Yeah. Flashlight. Activated. So essentially like this kid's virtual best friend. He plays baseball, games, hoops, tickle, guard, flashlight, volley, verb, catch, pitch, reaction, right, talk, stop. Easy. Easy. Nice job. Hey, pal. What's next? My pal 2000 <laughs> reacts to your voice, has over 50 things, plays five games, and comes with everything here. Batteries not included. Wow. Where was this from my childhood? Well, <laughs> it, it was maybe not part of your childhood, but it was definitely part of my childhood. Um, okay. So, yes, what you just saw a, a video of and we'll have in the show notes is a commercial for the 1999 Christmas stellar product, uh, the MyPal 2000, which is this squat little, maybe two foot tall 
uh, robot-looking kid that uh, is just made of plastic, and there's buttons everywhere and lights flashing. And what he basically does is he is able— everything, apparently, according to the commercial. According to the commercial, yeah. The, they start to list it off, and they just start to talk through it very quickly, uh, fast-forwarding through playing basketball. And uh, it can pitch a, a foam ball to you to play baseball. So— Basically, what it's what it's doing is, um, you know, it's playing with me when I was five years old. You know, I had my own pal, which which is funny because I I also had a brother that was two years older. So really, the main use for it was probably when I was having a fight with my brother and didn't want to play with him. <laughs> I would specifically pull out my pal two thousand to have some some companionship and a a way to eat through some more D cell batteries uh, in in the everyday life. Oh my goodness! Yeah, just the bane of the. Like early 2000s. Definitely, definitely. So humans have been making, you know, these robots uh, to work with humans, other humans, toddlers in this case, uh, for at least at least two decades. And, you know, robot helpers for little ones, they're a bit gimmicky. Adults often like have to be around little ones to help out anyways. So it's not like the the robot mm-hmm. was, you know, doing much, much things that the humans couldn't do. But you know, as we kind of pivot towards the future and towards this topic, robots helping older people, that's probably extremely useful. And, you know, as we go through this episode, we're going to see how appealing they are for the everyday elder or disabled person client in need. Right, for sure. So I think, like, you're just begging the question right there. Obviously, unlike in the video where you're playing catch or hitting a ball or like, you know, things like that, Elderly people or our clients are not quite going to be doing that. <laughs> they will be needing some different things, albeit some interesting things. Um, but so what are some examples of these basic care tasks? Right, right, right. So this, it definitely varies based on the needs of this elderly disabled client. You know, some person might be deficient in just one area, but totally fine in others. And the f- best framework that I found to talk about these is something called Activities of Daily Living, ADLs, okay. uh, which which is a list of like bathing, clothing, oral hygiene, eating meals, toileting, mobility between tasks. Uh, and then there's a second tier that's called the instrumental activities of daily living. And these mm-hmm. these are things that are more like facilitating daily functioning. So it's like house maintenance, shopping for goods, preparing meals, okay. that type of level. So and is this like is this like lingo in in the field or is this kind of uh, framework that we're coming up with? Oh, it's it's definitely in a field. I don't know if it's in okay. in this field, probably okay. in this field. I didn't make sure. it up by yeah. any means. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a framework that's useful. That being said, there's um, and all of them are different types of care. Maybe you don't need to do every type of care. Maybe the family is going to take care of cleaning the house every once in a while or financial services like, was like another instrumental ADL. Great framework. There's some things, though, that are also outside the framework, and they're they're mainly like mental upkeep, relationship management. So okay. those are kind of all the, the things that care encompasses for these elderly and disabled kids or uh, adults, okay. <laughs> not, not toddlers anymore. Uh, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, in a way, it's kind of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs a little bit where like mm-hmm. they're we're covering, you know, the base layers. But those those upper intermediate tiers not quite getting to that's outside this framework. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and some of those, you know, higher tiers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you don't know about it, we'll put in the show notes. Uh, they're still kind of part of the care 
process, they're just kind of, you know, not not spoken necessarily. And, and we're going to get dive deeper into that as we go. All right. So we're talking about, you know, a more basal level of needs versus like a more intermediate level of needs. Right. What what's on the line if just this basic level, these basic activities aren't completed at all or are completed, but just poorly? Right. So obviously, if they're not completed at all, you know, this this client, um, they are going to have like a drop in health, both like physical health and their mental health can drop precipitously. They need these things to survive and, you know, have a chance at, at thriving in their life. And if it's poorly completed, this is kind of an interesting case because health can definitely drop. Uh, you know, it's hard to go through bouts of, of bad care, missing things in your life. And what's also tricky is someone that's disabled to that degree or, or elderly to that degree, they might not know the source of their decline. Maybe they're just like, oh, this is just bad age. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their condition is worsening. Like if an elderly person develops a rash, like, you know, there's definitely discomfort that reduces health. Uh, but what caused it? You know, maybe it was bad bathing. Maybe they are wearing dirty clothes, maybe inadequate movement in their, in their bed, maybe bad food, maybe mental stress. You know, there's so many different like cases that it's kind of hard to map to how to get that treating as well as, you know, a lot of these older people and disabled people, if they start to have some mental issues, they kind of have this level of confusion and like gas gaslighting basically where the client, like an internal, yeah. 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 The, the, the client, um, they trust their physical and mental capabilities less over time. Cause they're like, I, I, I must be messing up here. You know, like this, uh, what's happening to my body isn't matching, you know, my expectations. So something's going on right. and they just have like more confusion building up over time. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, kind of like you mentioned, these, these basic care activities often have like a hidden side, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. They're, they're definitely more than meets the eye. You're kind of talking about this with Maslow's hierarchy of needs where those activities of daily living and the instrumental activities, that second layer, they focus on the physical needs of the person and the mental needs are kind of an afterthought um, in in that listing and kind of in care at, at some level. Um, mental needs are definitely addressed uh, just at a lower level. Um, and I believe like we choose how to complete these daily care activities. You know, we complete our own daily care activities, you and Isaac. Um, we, mm-hmm. we choose how to complete them to also serve more of those hidden mental needs. So like cooking is a great example. You know, the physical okay. need, like we all need food in our bodies to fuel them. But mentally, sure. cooking can be calming. People can ha- be fulfilled by it to do like the practice and mastery. You can oh, totally. you know, tie your identity to cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh it's, it's an accomplishment that you can talk about and, you know, it's, it feels useful to society and others, you know, you can like cook for other people and that, that can be really like validating as a person. Mm -hmm. And so like, what's the implication of this? Well, sometimes you, you, there's a, there's a better way to complete one of these daily care activities. And that better way is often avoided because they might serve the physical need better, but they don't serve that more hidden mental need. So like meal delivery, Mm -hmm. you know, you order Postmates or Uber Eats or whatever is out there and you don't get that hidden calming fulfillment, identity, accomplishment, like utility sensations, those mental needs like kind of go unchecked. Absolutely. Yep. And if you take this like a little bit further, like sometimes, you know, this is a really cool thing to think about for how the future like unfolds is when those better physical solutions become too good to pass up, you know, 
um, in the case of meal delivery, like, you know, you're missing those hidden and soft needs. So maybe what you have to do instead is you add activities. You say like, okay, well, I'm mm-hmm. going to change or, or change activities. I'm going to change my afternoon entertainment from group bingo to solo watercoloring so that you can, you know, have some more of those identity, fulfillment, et cetera. But then, Absolutely. you know, if you pull away from group, group bingo, now you have like, you know, fewer social connections. So you say, okay, I'm going to instead go visit the cafe every morning and socialize with the community. But okay, shoot, that cuts into your time that you were spending reading the Bible, religious texts, whatever. So now your spirituality takes a hit and on and on. It it all kind of keeps going down the line until there's kind of a full reshuffling that everything's kind of back to like a homeostasis level. Does that make sense? Right. It's almost like a ripple effect, right? Not really like a spiraling down, but like a bloop and then everything kind of like evens back yeah, out. Yeah. Yeah. I like ripple. I like shuffle. Shuffle is, you know, not a bad thing. It's just things change and they're the, the decks in a different order now. It's just kind of how it works. For sure. So talk to me from like a bigger picture perspective. Like what is the scope of this problem? You know, why is it a problem? What's, what's going on here? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it would, this would be a pretty short podcast if we got to this point and we're like, yeah, actually we kind of got, uh, elderly care and old age figured out, like there's going to be less old people working. <laughs> so, um, by the numbers that the problem of elderly care is both a significant issue now is going to continue to be one that's going to actually grow in the future. Um, just with the rising life expectancies seen globally, a higher fraction of the population is quote unquote old. Mm-hmm. So just looking at a website called ourworldanddata.org, which by the way, is just like an awesome web website for anyone who kind of wants to get like into some statistics and like see some readouts that have a lot of data behind them. Definitely. Yeah. Um, but so based on life expectancy analytics on a global scale, we've increased our life expectancy by about 40% since 1950 where it was just 45 years old to about 73 years old today. And keep in mind, when we're talking life expectancy, it's the person being born on that day, which is kind of weird to think about, right? Mm, mm. But like when you when we think about life expectancy in 2019, for example, it's a baby born on in 2019 will be expected to live to about 73 years of age. Gotcha. So this this uh, 1950 73. Oh, I see 73 today. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yes. yeah, some some of those numbers are you know coming to fruition uh, in to today's timeline. The old people are also right. Yeah, I got you. Right. Yeah. Um, but so, anyways, during this time from 1950 to today, the percentage of people over the age of 65 has gone from five percent to about nine percent. Wow. And in places, you know, that's huge overall. In places like Japan, that population has actually grown to 25%, Sheesh. which which is crazy. And apparently I was looking at a couple other like more recent um, pointed articles and they're pushing like into the thirds, which is which is nuts to think about, like one in three people. Wow. Yeah. And I, I think I see numbers that say uh, people in Japan, Japan's just kind of like ahead of us in this, in this trend, you know, they, mm-hmm. they have very old people and and not many younger people. I think they've had like doublings or maybe even triplings of the people over 80 years old yep. in, you know, two decades time. So, so right. it's pretty severe amount that are needing help. You know, if your population is tripling, uh, right. you need a lot more workers in that space. 
Right, absolutely. And that's we're not going to go into why that is necessarily. There's a variety of reasons why Japan is kind of like this outlier. It's a little bit of a prediction of like, oh, cautionary tale of what might come ahead, mm-hmm. but also probably not going to be seen as pointedly, you know, in other places. Right. You know, we're not going, it's not, the world at large is not going to jump from 9% to 25% like it is in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so kind of like you were shooting for, we're not staying young longer, but we're just kind of being old longer, which is weird to think about, but I think definitely true in this situation. Um, This is also compounded with another thing, that younger generations are having less children, so the elderly population is actually growing faster than the generation that should be taking care of them. So this is when we kind of start seeing this chasm open up and, and a potential problem maybe start forming. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there, was a, there was a super interesting study that I found uh, that was done by Bloomberg on, on the globally dropping childbearing rates mm-hmm. uh, and what that means for a quote-unquote like balanced society. They're, they do some sort of socioeconomic analytical wizardry and essentially boil it down to this. Since the 1960s, you know, when we kind of say modern technology or modern society, more or less began or more or less like we came into that era. Yep. Um, since 1960, modern society has needed each female to bear two children. In the 1960s, this was not an issue. The global average was at almost five children per female, wow. which is, yeah. Um, but fast forward to 2017 and almost half the countries you would consider developed actually now average less than that magic number of two. Hmm. I, so I know like, Japan is definitely in that category. I know they have oh, yeah. they, their population is declining, even though that their older population is increasing. You know, there's there's that trade off there uh, that is is right. kind of scary to see, I guess, for some things. I mean, we'll just adapt and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and it's not just places like Japan where you're also seeing this elderly explosion population explosion, but places like France and Italy, for example, which is not a place you'd maybe consider as being, you know overwhelmingly anti-child or, you know, Mm anti-sex. But in in the same time, there are a lot of other cultural factors that are just weighing into people not having as many children. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's obviously a big issue because those children, you know, they go on to become the workers that help the the carers. If Mm -hmm. if you, if you have a big piece of your pie that is old folks needing care and the other part of your pie isn't there to support that, you know, old group, then mm-hmm. you suddenly have, you know, uh, let's say, where where your uh, old person or your client, if you will, to aid ratio might have been like four to one. Now it might be eight to one, and all of a sudden you're like, right. oh shoot, how do we take care of this? You know, are we going to spread everyone thin like that and have bad care for for decades? What's going to go on? Right, and they're absolutely experiencing that in Japan right now. Right, where it's definitely a question of how economical can we be about our caregivers' time. Right, right. So. And and just just as a side note, real quick, this is not an, an argument saying that women need to have like more children, or this is somehow like a social burden of them. This is just like culture as a whole. This is kind of where things are going, and there's a lot of different reasons why we're going in this direction. It's not necessarily bad. It's just different, right? Um, but slowly and also very surely, these elderly generations are beginning to outweigh these caregiving generations. How do these developed countries around the world avoid this this age imbalance? 
maybe maybe like stepping back a little bit, like how do they take care of old people in general is maybe a good way to think right. about it. Like what are those current mm-hmm. solutions? And, you know, there's kind of like three different groups you have, uh, and this is a classic all over the world is the family steps in, you know, in a lot of different cultures, mm-hmm. uh, they're trained or it's, it's the cultural norms that like the, the kids, grandkids love taking care of their parents. So, or grandparents. So the family steps in and, you know, maybe it's periodically like, you know, daily visits to grandma across town or weekly visits, whatever it might be, or it could be persistent, like grandma moving in with her son and Mm daughter-in-law. Then there's also another option is like third parties are brought into the home. You know, there's a huge push for aging in place is the term some of them use where for sure. Absolutely. The old person knows their home. They want to stay there. They need help. So instead, they're going to bring a nurse. They're going to bring a home health aide, a personal care assistant into the home to help out. And then kind of the third main option is having like a third party become the home. So Mm -hmm. you have nursing homes or assisted living communities where everyone is grouped together and that way you can provide care a lot more efficiently. It's kind of economies of scale. If you have all of these people needing care together, then you can, there's, there's some issues that happen, uh, but it can be more efficient uh, having them all together and taking care of them together like that. Right. Kind of like we mentioned in Japan, right? They're just trying to be economical with the caretaker's time, the few caretakers that they have for this larger population. Absolutely. Um, So there are, you know, some other limitations as well to this, you know, to different um, people stepping in or caring for these elderly clients. Yep. Yeah, totally. Each of those have, have their drawbacks. You know, they're not perfect, especially as the number of caregivees, you know, goes through the roof, like what's going to happen? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Just like thinking in terms of the the number, the percentages that we were talking about earlier, right? Like mm-hmm. in globally, it's about it's about 9%. And in Japan, you have about 25%, right? Yep. And just think of your your grandparents. You, let's, you've got four grandparents. Think about having to live with one grandparent in your house or possibly two versus having to support all four of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that there is there would be a much larger chance that you have all four of your grandparents that need support. And that is just not only a lot of work to care for for people, depending on what they actually need. It's just burdensome on a family in general, you know, to kind of have their home. I don't want to use the term invaded, but have their home kind of invaded by someone who is was not part of their direct family bundle. And I know that's why like multi-generational housing in family units and other cultures kind of is a big thing. Right, right. And if they go for one of those third-party options of bringing a care assistant in the house or, you know, putting the person in a house, if you will, that that is, you know, run by the care people, it it's very expensive. And especially as, you know, the demand uh, is way bigger than the supply, um, the prices mm-hmm. are only going to go up. And, 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 you know, like, Another thing is that they they talk about how it's already hard. Like this is happening like, you know, in the next two decades for sure. It's already tough to find good care assistant workers. Previously, I listened to a podcast talking about recruiting these care assistant workers. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how it was more like fishing 
uh, where they could like put a put a line out and they they'd eventually find someone to fill that role. But it had started transitioning um, during the or just before the pandemic into more like hunting. Like, how do we find this person? Let's you know go out there and like specifically search you know through the brush and you know try and try and hook <laughs> hook someone um, to to work for this this job. I just have to say, so my grandparents had a live-in caretaker for a number of years, and his name was Jay. He was like this tall, lanky guy, like big beard, like long hair, just the nicest guy ever, but honestly, like looked like a little little bit of a backwoodsman. And so I'm just imagining him like running around in his scrubs in the woods, like someone just frantically hunting for Jay. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the the analogy they're using. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, I'm sorry. That was just my own brain. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, another limitation is just that the some of those situations, say like being in a group home, they they lead to a loss of independence and and self-worth of the, the client is is compromised a bit. So those are kind of the three things like, mm-hmm. you know, these current solutions, they're very burdensome. They can be very expensive and they can kind of compromise on some of the autonomy and, you know, self-actualization. If, if we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs for the client and family, et cetera. Right. So I think like we're kind of trying to pivot as we always do in the podcast a little bit and saying like trying to flip the page a little bit and seeing like, can we be overcoming these limitations through science, technology, what have you. Right, right, exactly. And and technology is is the basic approach in this situation. Uh, you know, in the case of like burdensome care, humans can offload some or all of that care task onto the right technology. You know, work saved can be way more than the human work needed to create, implement, use, and maintain the technology. So you can save potentially. This is, you know, this is kind of like tech's approach. They're they're hoping this pans out. We're we're gonna explore further if, if they actually make it happen. But they're hoping that they can save a lot of man hours. You know, that's the thing that's mm-hmm. that's really limited right now. If they can save a lot of those, you know, human hours, then they can take care of a lot more people. Uh, on the expensive side, the whole thing with technology is a lot of technology are products. And product basically has has this concept of productization where you spend a ton of, of money up front, a lot of upfront resources, time, et cetera. And after going through implementation and years of ongoing use and maintenance of that product, because you made a million of those units and sold them all off. Mm-hmm. Each, all that upfront cost and implementation, et cetera, that's spread out over each one of those, say, million units. So the actual cost per unit can be a lot lower, even though you spent so much time on it, because you just keep repeating uh, the same product over and over and over again. And that can easily be way less than, you know, the actual cost of paying for humans, going through training, having to pay for or- organizing those people as well. Mm-hmm. So as long as tech can, you know, follow some productization line, they should have a very good good route to be cheaper than humans. Right. A lot of times we find like in our episodes that it's that first upfront investment that's sometimes the biggest hurdle with these technologies, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's so much to to do to set a product up to to start running. Right. And then on the third one, the kind of independence, self-worth, self-actualization of the elderly person Tech is really cool because tech systems can be designed to be dependent on the commands of an elderly or disabled person. And 
if text that way, it, it can become an extension of the self. Mm-hmm. So people, they, they talk about this with um, a lot of pieces of tech, even with old people already, very basic tech. Um, the care recipient can be independent of other people and feel independent as well because they're controlling the tech bots. And then on the self-worth side, uh, without you know those tight costs and con- control constraints, the caregivee can express themselves more and help their community in more ways. You know, there's just a lot more capabilities they can do as long as, you know, the tech uh, affords them that. If, if the tech's there, it, it can kind of elevate them above maybe what they would be willing to enlist a caregiver for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of allowing like, you know, let's say I spend 25% of my daily energy on just like basic tasks and then like 75% of my daily energy on like things I want to do, like working out and podcasting and whatever. Sure. Um, as, as you get older with these elderly clients, they may have a much different, uh, partition of that bank, right? They may, it may take like 50% of their total energy mm-hmm. just to get through their like menial daily tasks before they can spend their other 50% doing the things that they love and working for their community with these these bots we're kind of trying to give them back that slice of the pie right and saying that they these these robots or these these tech innovations are going to give them the ability like you mentioned to express themselves and help their communities yeah okay so maybe it's now worth kind of pivoting a little bit deeper into like so so what are these tech domains that are going to be most impactful for providing this elderly care yes one domain that's that's kind of a it's it's adjacent, but really important because I think it's to be a big piece of the next twenty years. Is talking about monitoring uh, these these caregivers and understand what's going on there. And we're we're seeing this in sensors being brought into the home or into group homes, whatever it might be. Like you have your Google Assistant and you have mm-hmm. your Amazon Alexa products, and you're also seeing some emerging like elder specific sensors measuring things that like the faucets on and off, the gas is on and off, the electricity is spiking or not. And all those can be kind of, you know, included to, uh, to learn a little bit, little bit more about the patient. You're also seeing sensors on the body. So the Apple watch is kind of the furthest along in this where you, you know, have movement monitoring and it's monitoring your heart ry- rhythms. Surely there's more right. products in the pipeline there as well. I, I kind of call, call back to episode one, two, and three, where, you know, we have this <laughs> continuous monitoring of like what's happening in our body. And you don't have to go listen to episodes one, two, and three. You can just trust us. Yeah. Um, Skip them. <laughs> Um, but like the, I think it's the, was it the newest or the second newest Apple watch actually had some sort of like fall detection, right? And where they can actually, could actually monitor, um, like a, like a fall or a spill. And then if there was a certain amount of yes yep movement or not, right? Right, exactly. And, and that's kind of the next piece, the third kind of big advancement tech domain within monitoring and it's interpreting that sensor data. So Okay. In that case, basically, they're taking that that movement monitoring data, and they were interpreting, deciphering it, and they're able to say like, "Oh, uh, this is a fall. This person falls, and we're going to call nine one one if they don't cancel it in the next five seconds or something along those lines." You also have some Amazon has an Apple Watch kind of really basic version that is estimating the conversational tone based on audio snippets. So taking this data and trying to pull out these these rich useful things out of it is definitely a big place that 
technology is, is rising in in the monitoring space. If that sounds a little bit super feeling, we're coming back to Jeff Bezos, so don't worry about it. We absolutely will. So another tech domain is robotics. This is the thing that I think, you know, if we think about, oh, we're replacing a caregiver, how are we doing that? It's a robot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have robotic hands and limbs and legs that can that are improving and they need to be able to navigate and manipulate the human world that we work with. You also see right. robotics having their own sensors and their own brains to understand the situation and, and plot out a course to navigate and manipulate, you know, what's needed to provide that care. Mm-hmm. And then also on the robotic side, you're, you're starting to see human robot connections being improved that allow the caregivee or ca- caregivers, um, you know, the client or mm-hmm. the nurse, whatever it might be, to instruct and kind of communicate the, the needs or the intentions or what to look for as needed. And then the third thing is... The third domain is human and pseudo-human interfacing, kind of similar to the robotic connections, but this is a little bit different, where one of the things I'm including in here is social networks. Right. Very basic, but but really important for some of those software things. We'll get into that. And, you know, social networks who are communicating with loved ones and other useful people. Another piece to that interfacing with pseudo-humans is companion avatars. Uh, Think of like Siri and Alexa, Google Assistant. They kind of all have their own personality of sorts, and they approximate Mm -hmm. human interactions. And this can kind of be improved further and further to emulate humans more and more such that there's a sort of companionship through, you know, AI assistance or anthropology pomorphize virtual pets or even robotic pet-like machines. Those are all places that are taking big steps forward. Right. Just think of like the, you know, the 2020 Tamagotchi, right? Sure. So, so that's kind of where things might be going. And we're kind of, you know, alluding to where there's some movement being, being made, but Zach, what are we up to today? What, what types of care can we start to provide with this technology or what's what's kind of the current roadblocks? So as you're hearing John talk about robots and robot connections and robot hands and limbs and legs, you might start getting ideas of Rosie, the Jetsons, RoboMaid, or maybe you're picturing your grandmother's personal C-3PO. Um, so let's just say that this is the goal. What is the care that would be expected of them? Personally, the, the physical care is, is what I think of when this topic came up. And right, that's, obviously, sure. that's obviously evident in the, the pop culture references I just made. <laughs> so boiled down, the clients are looking for help with these ADLs, right? Like John talked yep, about up top. ADLs, activities of daily living. Right, exactly. So let's look at something relatively simple, like relatively simple chore around the house, like doing laundry. Now, folding a shirt might be second nature to you, but can you remember a time where you didn't know how to do it? Yes. <laughs> John's like three months ago. <laughs> um, how to, you know, you didn't know how to move your hands to get that perfect trifold or the fact that jeans are folded differently than sweatpants. Is that a fact? <laughs> if I'm outing myself as a laundry Nazi, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but anyways, so these, these tidbits are examples of two sides of this challenge of physical help. Number one, can the bots physically do the task? And number two, do they know how and when to? Do they have the know-how and do they have the finesse to pull Hmm. it off? Let's tackle the easier problem first. Do we have robots that can physically do this task? 
Do we have the dexterity? Do we have robots that have fine motor control, kind of like our hands or kind of like the human experience? Right. And the answer to that, honestly, is we are really, really close. This is one of the few times in researching for this podcast that I've looked into a technology and been able to confidently say that we are well on our way to being pretty damn good at this. Today, I would say that the robotics currently at the frontier of dexterity are good enough to be helpful, but not quite good enough to be replacements. So what are we talking about today? Who are the big fish? We are going to be dropping in some demo videos in the episode notes, and there's some pretty amazing there are some pretty amazing ones out there. I would definitely give this a look before you go through. And John's, we're actually going to take a look together at a couple of these short ones. Um, and you can watch with us. So number one, John, you can kind of start opening that up. Number one is shadow robotics. It's a Jeff Bezos funded venture. I told you we were coming back for him. Um, specifically the product is called their dexterous hand series. They've been making rounds in the internet a lot lately, thanks to a particular demo that we're going to watch uh, that they did with the Amazon CEO. And I'm going to be honest, it makes him look a little bit super villainy, kind of like Lex Luthor. <laughs> um, so these will be in the show notes. They're glorious. I watched these videos and, and basically what you're seeing is uh, Jeff Bezos puts his hands in these giant gloves and the gloves are digitally you know, connected to these other mm-hmm. hands and Jeff Bezos is able to grab a ball and put it in his other hand and there's super good responsiveness between these digits and where the hands are moving from. It's, it's quite a cool experience and Jeff Bezos is actually feeling uh, the ball in his gloves even though yes. you know, he's a table away from the actual movement. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, like jokes aside about about the product, what Bezos demonstrates in the video, honestly, is absolutely incredible. Um, the arms that they have in the video are nothing new. We've had similar ro- robotic arms like that for the last 10 to 20 years. Um, in fact, I would assume that Shadow just sources these arms from another company, but their bread and butter is the hands. And what's insanely cool for a mechanical engineering nerd like me is how graceful and precise the hands are. I would really suggest taking a look at the videos again so you know that we're not being just overly optimistic here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing you might be saying is, well, it looks like the hands you know, weren't perfect. Bezos definitely almost drops the ball when he tries to move it from one hand to the other, right? Right. And now that you're thinking on this track, isn't that robot that Jeff Bezos is using probably just a metric ton of money? Mm-hmm. So... Shadow tackles the first of these issues very well. In the case of Jeff Bezos almost dropping the ball, it seems to be an issue of calibration. Hmm. Basically, it it wasn't used to being operated by Jeff. And and even if it's if it was perfect, let's say, or, or excuse me, mm-hmm. even if that was as good as it gets, it's pretty darn impressive. Like you can think about like oh, how yeah. a, a baby starts to progress and use their hand and develop manual dexterity. That takes that takes years. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like parents would be even more impressed by looking at this robot. They're like, wow, that's just as good <laughs> as a a, a five year old. Like that's pretty darn impressive. Um, and you know, it will only get better. Having five year old dexterity is not bad. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, like I think we're right now we're at the we have the ability to be helpful, just not like fully replaceable sure, for the sure. human hand. Right. So yeah. like a five year old can like do some care tasks, but, you know, not all of them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
So what Shadow Robotics is doing is using AI, as always, along with something as simple as a camera to learn tasks, just like we do, John, just like you mentioned, you know, children learning tasks. Mm-hmm. Instead of just mindlessly moving servo motors based on a dumb program, the system is actually able to, quote unquote, get used to the faults in the system. Hmm. So these faults could be user based. Like if Jeff Bezos has tossed the ball back and forth during a learning session, the robot might have become more fine tuned to exactly where, you know, exactly where he is in the virtual space. Right. However, these faults could also be mechanical. So no assembly, as you know, coming from someone who is a mechanical engineer, no assembly of parts is ever perfect. Even if the part is off by only a fraction of an inch, all these little fractions of an inch can stack up to big problems. Mm-hmm. But the more precise you need your parts to be, the more exponentially expensive they are. So to give you an idea, I tried to hunt down the price for the system that Jeff Bezos is using. Okay. For the one just one arm hand combo, I landed somewhere in the neighborhood of $300,000. And he's got two, two yeah. arm hand combos for, for both hands. Is that right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So Jeff Bezos is playing with just over half a million dollars worth in hardware right there. Wow. Yeah. So artificial intelligence is actually the intuitive solution for this issue as well. Although shadow, or although it's not being seen or at least it's not being showcased by shadow robotics. Instead, we're going to hop over to UC Berkeley with their robot, cutely titled Blue. Blue. Okay. Yes. Um, We will post a video of Blue as well. Blue is by no means as impressive as its cousin over at Shadow Robotics. Again, we'll put the video there and to show you, you can take a look for yourself. Where Blue does shine is its price tag. It has two full arms and two pinchers for $5,000. Hmm. What they essentially do is instead of spending big on precision-made parts, Blue's creators have taught the algorithm to calibrate to its hardware. Mm. And I was, tr- I was trying to figure out how to explain this in a non-technical, uh, non-engineering way. And what I landed on was basically think of the algorithm having to get used to its hardware like someone in a Freaky Friday situation might have to get oh. used to a different person's body. Yeah, right. that's genius. Right. Sure. Like, like if you were to go you know, hop into a new body and use your muscle memory to write your name, it would not look like your name. Right. Yeah. But if you are watching, you know, having feedback from your vision to see how your pen moves, you could probably write your name just fine over time. Right. Yeah. You'd figure it out pretty quickly. You're just like, oh, my fingers are a little bit longer or like. Right. So anyways, on the topic of control of these of these robots. Right. Transition to that second piece that, mm-hmm. that's super important. Exactly. AI is, you know, kind of, of course, going to fall into play here. We, I do not want to turn this, and I think John agrees as well, we don't want to turn this into an AI episode because, mm-hmm. quite frankly, we have no idea how far out really good AI actually is. So that does throw a slight amount of cold water on the made bot in the near future. Mm-hmm. But I think the industry is already gearing up for AI to be a long ways out. So companies like Shadow Robotics are already starting to focus on telepresence, basically being able to control the robots from a distance. Shadow is focusing on military and space applications, which are super cool, but not going to affect 
the majority of us in the near future, right? Right, right. We need this to eventually trickle down to cheaper things mm-hmm. like blue and things that we can yes. actually put in our home and trust. But but it's useful to look at these very advanced technologies to understand, okay, that's what's out there. That's the price now. You know, if the things break correctly, maybe things can drop in price a bunch and be repurposed for care. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's actually, there's a company from Japan that's actually kind of going that way already. Um, They're taking a far more utilitarian take on the telepresence, basically saying like, why spend the money and time on complex AI when a human can just control the robot remotely? So what Japan's mirror robotics is doing is essentially starting to rent remote controlled assistance bots for hmm. about $1,000 a month. And when we talk remote controlled, we're talking about, um, let's say, Zach, that you had a care bot in your household and I worked for the company. Like, mm-hmm. I I would, like, tap into the cameras on your, your control bot and I'd have some fancy remote control system that would allow me to move however I wanted and I could use that to wash the dishes or, or if I could pick you up, I could right. pick you up and, and put you in a different part of your household. Is that, is that what's going on? It's just like another right. person across the internet, if you will, is controlling that robot. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what it is. Just think of like a video game only on the other end. It's not, you know, the Sims, but you're actually taking care of a real life elderly person. Huh. But so their plan is great in theory. Now, we're again going to post this in the show notes. The demo videos for Mira are extremely lacking. Hmm. Um, the video or the robot rather is like very cute looking, you know, definitely has that uh, Japanese flair, but is extremely slow, extremely underpowered. Um, the control that the telepresent operator has seems to be good and they seem to have like a decent level of dexterity over the machine but it's just so the the software behind it doesn't seem to be the issue it just seems that the hardware is really really lacking which makes sense like this is the control portion we're saying that mm-hmm. the control is is elite i mean a human's behind it you know controlling it and it's pretty darn easy to tell this joint to do that and and you know move a robot as you wish now if you were to pair that up with something like you know, shadow robotics or, or some other fancy things like blue, maybe, you know, you have a, a winning solution. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's what I'm hopeful, at least that's what's going to happen is that a company like blue, like you said, something that's definitely looking to be in the, at the consumer level in terms of pricing mm-hmm. can, you know, merge and interface with this mirror robotics a little bit to kind of give them both sides of this coin. Gotcha. Well, great. So speaking of optimism for the future, John, Let's talk about that right now. Where do you think we'll be in the land of tomorrow? Right, right. We'll get into where we believe we might be. But first, I want, I want to watch another video with you, Zach. Um, this video is a little bit longer, so we're going to fast forward to Zach's thoughts after the video to see what's going on. Okay, we're back. Zach, you just finished that five-minute video. What did you see? Um, okay, so it was an elderly woman with the clearly a caretaker robot named Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- the video begins with them dancing. It uh, clearly appears that like he's really her only companion in this house alone, that there maybe was right. a, you know, a spouse at some point in time. Um, but there's like, 
I can't quite put my finger on it while we were watching the video. I, I said to John, like, it kind of reminds me of the Watchmen almost a little bit, but then like halfway through gets a little bit of a Black Mirror vibe. Um, it's just kind of like this little five minute vignette showing, I think, a lot of maybe different complexities of what it would be like to have this like ever present robot assistant. Right. Like she she tries to sleep in and the robot keeps trying to wake her up. You know, Claudine, you need to get up. Like, yes. why didn't you get up this morning as you know, when I when I prompted you to. And there's kind of this this weird like who's in control, who's got the authority. Yeah. But also there's she's dancing with a robot. She the robot extends his hand theatrically to, you know, take hers and they go off to dance and kind of take care of her her troubles, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost seemed like a I also got like like a purgatorial vibe almost where she was like, I just wanted a second, you know, I just wanted a little like break almost from like the monotony or like the extreme scheduledness. And like mm-hmm. that wasn't that wasn't it like, nope, we're, we got to be on schedule like and there's that robot unfeelingness of why would you why would you need that second? Right, right. Right. Yeah. There's there's like a lack of autonomy honestly, yeah. there where she's like, I want to do this thing sleeping in a little bit and it won't let her. Anyway, so that was just kind of one look, you know, a, a black mirror esque spin of these kind of tensions. That is how one group in France um, thinks, you know, things might go in the future with care bots. But as far as what we think. The future trends are honestly kind of hard to pin down, mm-hmm. uh, I will say, tech-specific ones. Uh, it feels like a, a, a pre-Tesla moment in this what, in- industry. What do you mean by that? So, so like Tesla, you know, famously making really good uh, electric cars and tons of auto manufacturers have kind of come in and also decided, okay, we're also making electric cars, we're moving to all electric, things like that. But before Tesla really entered the market, there wasn't wasn't like a ton of movement. You had, you know, Nissan Leaf and kind of little people making small products that, that work here and there, but it hadn't taken off. It hadn't sparked, you know, the, the TNT of a market, but the, the market demand, it, it feels inevitable. You know, electric cars are going to be coming, elder care, disabled care, you know, something needs to happen in that space. Maybe tech needs to be a solution. We'll see. There's probably other ways to potentially solve that issue. Uh, also, with Tesla, it's not like there were any crazy tech advancements that were needed. And it feels similarly here where, you know, you said that the control of a robotic um, system like that, you know, if that that is possible today, we'll, right. we'll go into deeper on that. And the you know ability to manipulate and kind of navigate the human world, that's also, you know, kind of possible. It's it's, you know, on, on the fringes right. there. So it's not like there's any crazy scientific advancement or physics or whatnot that has to happen. It's just kind of understanding which product formula will, will click with that market as well as, you know, we need to do market development. There isn't a elder tech market uh, that's that's already easy to find and easy to to navigate towards. Yeah. So. Speaking of Tesla and autonomous cars, it kind of reminds me of like that argument of um, will cars, you know, if cars go autonomously, will all cars on the road need to go autonomously and kind of like sure. ruining the evening, the evening drive or the leisurely drive. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyways, just a little thought. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about you know, those, those relationships of like, is it going to be robot only for this care? Mm -hmm. And we're actually going to talk about that in a second. Um, and 
you know, in order to have us, these tech-specific trends are hard to pin down, we're going to do a five futures. So momentarily, we're going to get into that segment once again. Mm-hmm. But kind of to your point, Zach, about, you know, is this going to be robot only? I think obviously important is the the care bot, if you will, relationship with the client. That's super important. They've got to have some rapport. But I also think it's super important to have an important relationship between the care bot and the caregivers. I think the caregivers are definitely still going to be in the picture. And I think we can learn from their expectations uh, between you know those two. Basically, the caregiver, what, what do they want out of this? How do they want things to work? Okay. That we can kind of understand where some of this technology will be going in the future. So, you know, surely, I, I will admit, care bots, they can provide some care while alone with the caregivee. But the care bots will definitely be designed to work with caregivers and kind of to facilitate more joyful care moments and also to have fewer situations that are physically and or mentally uh, strenuous on the caregiver. Because you know, caring for people takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. Uh, there's some you know negative things going on uh, in some aspects of care that would love to be avoided if you're a caregiver. Right. So even putting that one caveat between like one single client and one single care bot, right? You kind of have that that human expert in the middle to make sure that like things are going the way they should be. Right. Right. That's that's there too, for sure. Like the um, some people talk about the care bot monitoring and making sure that the, the caregiver is providing good care. Okay. You know, they're the kind of like intermediate, um, if that's what yep. you mean, or, yeah. or something similar. Uh, another piece for this like care bot caregiver relationship is it's really dependent on the client needs. So, for example, if a caregiver, a client, has mild dementia, mm-hmm. then that that care bot will be in the background focusing on maximizing the caregiver caregiver interactions. You know, they're just kind of playing a su- support role. You know, scalpel, and they they hand over the scalpel, whatever it might be. And in a different situation, if say a patient has severe dementia, the the needs are going to be totally different. And the caregiver usually needs way more help that's physically and mentally more stressful. So the care bot, you know, moves from the background and plays a way more prominent role mm-hmm. and focuses on reducing the stress to the caregiver. So, you know, some of these people with severe dementia, they have a hard time, you know, following instructions and and being moved easily. So a care bot could step in and really take on that task of just kind of, uh, you know, enabling the the interests of the caregiver to provide the best care for the client, but kind of, you know, being a true bridge between the two in that situation. For sure. Yep. So now that we kind of have that uh, understanding out of the way where that's going to pull some technology in those interesting directions of interfacing with the caregiver themselves, Let's get into into the five futures segment. So there's so many different possibilities out there for how the future could unfold. We don't know what companies are trying to get into this space. We don't know what technology, you know, advancements are actually unforeseen and needed. So let's kind of spin up some futures for what might some of these futures look like. And this situation, it's not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. We yep. we all these things could happen altogether. None of them could happen. Anything is anything's possible. But I think it's worth painting some of these possible futures. And you know, we really distilled this down in our minds to even just four futures. So a spin on five <laughs> futures. We've got our four future segment. For our first future, I've got monitoring grandma as as a very very 
possible situation. So John put checking out grandma originally, but we had to change it. So. <laughs> yes. Thank Thank you, Zach. <laughs> keeping, keeping me in check. Um, so for monitoring and not checking out grandma, uh, we're focusing more in-house, you know, we could, there's monitoring grandma or elderly person, clients, what, whatnot, um, in a care or nursing facility is a slightly different mm-hmm. beast, but there's similar concepts here. So in the short term, what I think is very possible is I think you can have the Amazons, Googles, and, and even Facebooks that have these current screen-based assistant video chat products, you know, via Alexa or Google Assistant. Facebook has their own portal thing. I think that you might see an upgrade to those products, a new a new product platform to offer elderly monitoring and some some basic companionship oh, yeah. as well. And and that might look something like you know, having a product that has an assistant that's always on, always listening, always there for the old person, you know, using that wake word of, hey, Siri, hey, Alexa is kind of tough. Mm-hmm. So I think always on or periodically on to kind of check in on the care recipient is a possible feature. I think you might see um, a friendly avatar, you know, be this this assistant. They're embodied into a, a, a pet, an animal of some sort, or maybe, you know, a, a cartoon person, mm-hmm. you might see some basic things like a larger screen. You might see way more cameras or other privacy forward sensors that start to allow the assistant to check in, in in greater depth on what's happening in their household, you know, how the person is doing. And then I think a huge piece, and this is, you know, companies are definitely pouring the AI sauce into as many products as they can. Oh yeah. I think you're going to see algorithms that are starting to decipher the cameras and other sensors into a basic activity log um, that they can then send to the family or or care team, so that someone is always checking in on on, on grandma mm-hmm. and monitoring what she's up to. From from a longer term perspective, I think really they they turn up that that AI algorithm dial a lot and they start to use that information to start estimating the care needs. Okay, we need someone to move them. We need someone to, you know, clean up the house. Things that uh, you know, starts to interface with a new thing. Right. And I think that that interfacing is uh, is potentially put into like a platform. So you know, with so many diverse needs, you're going to need so many diverse sensors. So no single party, you know, Google or Amazon, they're not going to make all of these sensors themselves and kind of own the product. I kind of think that they might have like a platform play where they say, Hey, if you're a third party, Zach, if you want to make a sensor that monitors the foot smell of my grandmother, (laughs) uh, you could do that. And great you know, plug that data into the platform where all this data is being incorporated and that all together will determine, you know, whether they need a care bot to do X, Y, or Z, or maybe they need a call for a caregiver to provide some help instead. Yeah. I wonder if the caregiver robots almost become like peripherals or accessories to that main system, right? Rather than being like the system itself, they're kind of like just the dumb robotic mechanical appendage to the brain that's maybe not even on the device. Maybe it's a brain, you know, in the cloud, right? Which would probably make sense. That's, that's, that's a great point. They're no longer the hub. Instead, they are um, just a branch on a big Mm -hmm. tree. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so looking forward to future number two, we kind of look at that, that AI sauce being scattered around, right? So telepresence now and AI later is kind of what I'm labeling this future number two. Okay. 
my thought is that we're going to have telepresence that's generally going to be the way robots get their clanky metal feet in the proverbial door. I think that right now, AI just isn't mature enough to be trusted, nor would most people trust a completely AI system entirely. So I think telepresence is going to do two things for us. I think, or two things for this future. One, I think it's going to put a human face on these robots, on these robot caregivers. And two, I think it's going to give the algorithms time to mature. At first, my assistant will be human just on the other side of the globe, right? And like I'm, mm-hmm. like we kind of mentioned, it's just like dumb mechanics in between two otherwise human people. Right. But as time goes on and the algorithms get better, I think the operator will slowly start backing away from the client. So like slowly but surely, the operator will cede more and more tasks to these algorithms. And as the algorithms and the AI mature... I think the operators will, you know, back away from the client completely until the client is working with an AI, except for in the most extreme of circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of like a good a good comp to this is think of like calling a customer service line, which I'd hope to God you don't have to do that often. But <laughs> um, sure. but when you do, you know, it's changed even from what it was ten years ago. Right. Ten years ago, I would have to type a keypad through. A, dozen different menu options before being led to the right human department. Mm -hmm. But now I start off the call by saying my full question into the phone. The system might direct me to a human department or it might even try to relay the answer to my question without ever having to take me to an operator at all. Right. Like if you have a problem and you call Apple, you know, if you have a problem with your Apple computer, Mm -hmm. that's actually a really good phone system where they, they try and do exactly that. They're the most advanced and and pretty good at trying to automate, getting you help, getting you to the right person so you can quickly get through their system. And this, this like telepresence to AI transition makes a ton of sense at two levels in my mind. One level is that, uh, like with Tesla, they had to have a premium product first. They had their Tesla Roadster that was a quarter million dollars. Mm -hmm. And that was able to, you know, get enough R&D money to make things slightly cheaper. That was like the Tesla S and the X. And then, you know, even more sales there uh, was able to put even more R&D and more uh, number of products Mm -hmm. too. you know, selling more of these Model 3s to drop the price even more. So as that transition happens, you're gonna have to pay a lot more for like human telepresence. But you also over time, if you can transition to AI, things will be a lot cheaper. It's just gonna take a lot of R&D money. For sure. Yep. Oh, and, and the second part was that you can use your telepresence to start to train your AI. Yeah. That's, that's a classic okay. thing is like, you know, Uber is, is or, or Tesla is actually maybe a great example of this. Um, Tesla in their cars, they are monitoring how their people drive and they're, they're recording all of that. They're understanding, oh, this is how a human drives. And they're using that. Uh, it's not telepresence in this case, you know, the person's actually doing it, but they're using that actual data and recording all of the turns of the wheel, whatnot to inform how an AI should right. act. And yeah, and honestly, you're you're doing this in a lot of things, I think even without knowing it, right? Like even when you install an mm-hmm. operator an operating system on a computer, Microsoft comes right out and asks you, would you like or will you allow us to send data periodically for our algorithms, essentially, right? right? So they're asking you like, hey, can we at any point in time, can we just like collect your user data, how you're using our product so that we can better our product in the long run? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great one. I think another future is is diving a little bit deeper into this companionship. 
I think that you're going to see a lot more companionship via humans interfaced with digital assistants. So what I mean by that is basically like if I'm a product manager at Facebook, I have the ability to create something that plugs into Facebook. What I'm doing is I'm making an Alexa-like assistant to connect uh, elderly people, disabled, whatnot, um, better onto Facebook. There's, you know, real people on Facebook, family, friends, whatnot. And sometimes I think that elderly people just don't have a very good way to connect with those people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think an assistant would be perfect, if powerful enough and curated in in a good way to provide this layer to connect real humans with other real humans that, you know, need some companionship. And so, you know, this Alexa like thing for Facebook or or whatever, social media or emailing, whatever it might might be, um, it's able to like find and understand posts Mm -hmm. and messages from friends. It's able to help write comments and messages and posts, you know, it's probably holding a whole conversation with the client in this case. And they're, you know, working together to figure out what they want to say back or mm-hmm. what they want to comment on, what they what they want to search for in, in new posts. I also see this could be facilitating like phone and video calls between an elder and someone else. Right. And, and they actually, and they actually already do this. Uh, I believe the Google pixels do this where you can actually ask the google hmm. pixel to uh like call into a certain restaurant and make a reservation oh sure yeah it's it's yeah. or you can uh um like set essentially like a smart answering machine which is kind of cool like the google yep. yeah the phone answers a call first and like screens it and will essentially let you know who's on the line which is pretty wild yeah yeah that's that's a great like uh, parallel because there aren't many out there that are like a layer mm-hmm. between two humans. Right. That's that's kind of a situation where uh, the two humans don't really want to talk to each yeah. other. So the, the layer is kind of preventative. In this case, it's like a layer. Um, the digital assistant is the layer that is trying to connect them even better. You know, there's it's hard to use technology when you're super old and somewhat disabled in some situations. Mm-hmm. But if you can use your voice and kind of navigate through that way or tapping through in a simpler interface, uh, things can go right. I also think that, you know, Facebook, what they're all about is is connecting people and trying to make new friends. I think you could maybe have a service that is having people in similar situations, you know, other elders that are kind of alone, uh, connecting them as friends, almost like a dating service type thing, which Facebook's already getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that this, this, you know, digital layer could definitely help, help with, which is cool. Yeah, that would be actually really cool. And I think a lot of elderly people would, would love to do that. Even just like that small, like five minute conversation with, you know, someone else during the day, I think is really all you need right. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. That, that deeper social companionship via those like human calls or messages or whatnot, as well as you get like a, a light, you know, um, companionship way more frequently by just interfacing with the assistant. Oh, That's yeah. kind of another person that you can talk to that they're not, you know, worth that much, but there's some value in always having that kind of frequent voice, um, to talk right. to. And anyone who's sitting here thinking like, I don't think I would get that much use about, you know, talking to a robot or talking to a companion. You talk to your dog all day. Right. Um, but anyways, okay. So future number four. This is what I would consider many robots to few robots. So I think like right now, what we're going to look at for the the number of these like caregiving, these caregiving mechanical robots that are out there, I think in the short term, we're going to look for a cheaper option, which is probably going to be 
many little like peripheral or peripheral appendages to that main hub, right? Okay. Yeah, kind of just like a um, let's put it this way, like a webcam or a mouse. I think a lot of times those are pretty inexpensive because they're not a lot of use by themselves. Right. right. They're very specialized in, in what mm-hmm. they can do too. Yeah. And I think that's what's, what you're going to see is from both from the inexpensive perspective as well as like, well, they're inexpensive so we can apply 900 robots to 900 problems. Um, right. You're going to, you're going to see a lot of these different, these different types of mechanical robots. But I think as we go on, I think we're going to start seeing some of these units start integrating as manufacturers start biting off more functionality, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, similar to how like mobile phones slowly, but absolutely took a hold of like the personal photography space. It wasn't really a surprise to us that that happened, but the first cameras on the first smartphones were terrible, right? But mm-hmm. as time went on, the greater cash influx probably increased their innovation speed, and they've been a- basically able to supplant the digital camera space in less than 10 years, right? Right. So like a parallel here is like, okay, well, maybe you had uh, one robot that cleaned the bathroom, and you had one robot that cleaned the kitchen. Well, you know, the next generation of robot might be able to do both. So it's, things kind of start to like solidify mm-hmm. here, and suddenly you can kind of have a, a multi-purpose robot that can do all of the cleaning and it can do all of the movement and and do all of these things together that kind of uh it gets rid of the like specialized mm-hmm. products right yeah and i think just like we see again with phones or with a product that goes from kind of being a single use to a multi-use hub um you go, start going from a a bunch of objects that don't have a ton of cost or a ton of value on their own mm-hmm. to one singular unit that is very expensive or relatively very expensive. Um, and I think just like an iPhone, for example, I could see that very much becoming like a status symbol, having like a model that can do it all. Mm. Even though I can, you know, even though I can like for half the price, I can get three that do the exact same thing, you know, sure, but like sure. I don't have just one, right? Right, right. Oh, fancy everything. It's it's the uh, C-3PO or the mm-hmm. Rosie the Robot. Right. Yep. All exactly. in one. Exactly. So now we want to go into a quick little new segment. Not sure if it will survive into the future, <laughs> but we're calling it Far Future Fanfic, Fan Fiction. Uh, and what this is about is, you know, we usually try and look within about 20 years. That seems a little more realistic, but sometimes it's, it's fun to just just look a little bit further past that. Look, see what might be happening, uh, you know, further out and, you know, more uncertainty here. Yeah, let's get crazy with it. And what's what's so interesting about this this age wave that we're going through with the boomers, you know, starting to become old and become a huge proportion of the population. Well, if care bots um, become really important for their care and they, uh, you know, become very common, what happens when a lot of those old people, you know, phase out, pass away, unfortunately. And and the number of people needing care bots is a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Do we potentially see the care bots being repurposed into other parts of life? Like iRobot, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that seems like a entirely possible route that things could go down where everyone just kind of has a robot assistant throughout their everyday happenings. Right. Yeah, and it could be like a situation, too, where you're, this is their foot in the door, right? You are... 
you get used to a robot assistant because one takes care of your grandparents, like suddenly it's not weird that one is serving you a burger at McDonald's. Right. True. Yeah. It, it, it's the social norms definitely change if that happens. So now I think, as we always do, we want to take a look at some of the societal impacts that these caregiving robots may have on our culture, on our society, um, and on the people of the world. So right. I think, number one, I think this is more of a societal implication and one that I think like we look at when we are looking at adoption of a new technology by an elderly generation. Mm-hmm. But I think this might be one of those things where like your gut reaction and the research don't align. Personally, I've dealt with uh, the elderly and technology. I worked uh, in IT for the university during my undergrad. And if you ask my grandparents, I still volunteer um, as an IT consultant. Of course, of course, we all are. So I've had I've seen the range of reactions to new technology. And yes, there's definitely a correlation between age and openness to this new technology. But what the research on adoption of new tech by older generations has actually said is really interesting. See, by the numbers, all age groups pretty much responded unanimously. The biggest indication of adopting a technology is how useful I perceive the technology. Okay, makes sense. Right, yeah. The difference, I think, is, you know, in the range of expected outcomes when using a new technology for the first time, right? Because even though that's what the research says, I think from a lot of anecdotal interactions that we've all had, we like maybe not, maybe don't think that at first pass, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what I think is happening here is if you try handing a new, the brand new top of the line iPad to a seventh grader and then to a 70 year old, I think both individuals have a full lifetime of experience with technology, So why does the 70-year-old proceed with caution while the seventh grader has already updated or uploaded two TikToks and has downloaded 20 different games? (laughs) I think this is happening because the seventh grader has grown up with technology that's pretty darn good. Apps rarely crash, devices rarely break, and if they do, there's easy replacements. A lot of it's software-based, so like you can't really break things. Um, I think they play around on devices as much as they want, and there's not a whole lot of actual damage they can do. Right. They had this big freedom to operate. And, and for that reason, they're just they just bop around exploring little things here and there. Oh, what if I change this right. setting? Oh, what if I did this right. and, all the time? And like on operating systems that are made to like you like an iPhone, for example, is extremely locked down because they don't want people messing around with right. like a lot of the computing power that actually comes along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, look at the seven year old. They were around before there was a digital recycling bin where you could just magically reincarnate accidentally deleted files they've lived through the wild west days of computers and i think that's a huge deal when they pick up the new ipad they're just like constantly on the lookout their heads on a swivel they want to see where they can go wrong where this technology is going to burn them like their pc did back in 95 so i think like looking at that at that adoption is just a really good thing to think about when you're looking at how this uh technology is going to impact society i think it's going to be much more embraced by elderly generations than I think we think it is. But I do think we have to make those steps to ensure that there is an understanding and like a trust. Right, right. 
and I think like fast forward 20 years, the, the elderly people, they're just going to have more experience with this more reliable technology is, is part of the implication here. So they're going to have, they're going to have some more trust mm-hmm. in it as well as, you know, maybe this is, we need to be better at onboarding elderly people into technology. Right. You know, we're not very good at that. I mean, a- Apple does like a pretty good job and jitterbug, you know, some of these like really basic things are simplified enough, but uh, there's still there's still gaps. Right. Actually, for anyone sure. for who is anyone that is elderly and that is looking for technology help, Apple is a fantastic place. Not so much during COVID, I suppose, but they do hold a lot of like in-person small group seminars for anything you want to do on your iPad, iPhone, um, Apple device. We're not being paid by right. Apple, but it's a it is a great product that they offer. Right. And if they can't help you out or if you'd prefer, uh, message us on our Instagram, email, whatnot, and I'll give you Zach's number because he's quite good at it. <laughs> John just loves to give that out to anyone who's asking. So, Anyone yep. and everyone. So moving on to some more societal impacts, I think we need to call out some of these really great ones. So you know, we, we talked about some of the limitations of currently how we care for our elderly patients, and we can kind of you know, check potentially uh, the possibility that if these technologies go well, if some of these futures come to fruition, then, for example, we're going to have more resources. You know, we, we, we called out uh, a lot of this care as being extremely expensive and, well, or, or burdensome, mm. both of those. And, and if you don't have to pay as much money because, you know, a technology will do some of the menial work just fine, uh, and if you don't have to be doing the work yourself, well, now... You know, you can spend so much more of your resources and time in other important places. Like I don't know, maybe making some new memories with Grandpa. Right, like there's, yeah. th- there's, there's places where we'd rather spend our time and money than putting it into the care side. There's awesome parts of care that are super important that you know really like uh, cherishing. You know, new memories can come from that. But there's other ways to make great memories and great connections with you know your loved ones. Right. Another thing is. Potentially, the the client has more comfort and more peace with these types of care options. So, providing more options and you know options that are more attentive and allow for more autonomy, the caregiver can can have an improved experience as they age. You know, if they can control the robot to live their life, it becomes that extension of themselves that we mentioned at the mm-hmm. top. They can have. A, a lot more, a lot more fun, you know, a lot more expression, a lot more control over what they want to do and how they want to spend their life. Right. Exactly. And, and speaking of how they want to spend their lives, you know, having old people, elderly people contributing to society is an awesome thing. And there's a lot of research to show that there's a myriad of positive impacts of having like a healthy contributory aging population in your culture. It, it kind of sounds like a, like a short, weird thing to say, but like, especially in the American culture, I think there's this view of the elderly population as useless because they don't work, right? They're retired. Hmm. But I, I, that's just not true. And I think it continues to be less and less true as people continue to live longer, but still retire at relatively the same age. In cultures without this viewpoint, the elderly are very much seen like kind of as a societal glue. They can't be full-time babysitters or full-time chefs or handymen, but they can certainly fill in that gap when there is a need. 
Right. They are the elders. They're kind yeah. of someone to turn to for advice and for, hey, you've you've been through this. You've seen this. You know, what what can I learn? What can you tell right. me? Right. And that and that comes out like in the research cultures that have multiple generations working together in uh, frequently in these situations report having much higher um, levels of community cohesion as well as an increase just in like generational knowledge like kind of passed down from, mm, sure per, uh, from you know personally I have grown up with like multiple generations of huh. carpenters before me my grandpa and both my dad are, are very good with with wood um, so being able to like work and learn in a shop with my dad and grandpa when I've had the time is honestly like one of the most rewarding things yeah uh, and it's really cool just to like learn about this craft that they've been like honing their entire lives right yeah, that's a really cool, cool experience that you get to, you know, stand on some local giant's shoulders right, a yeah. little bit and, and take it to the next level and, and pass it along if, if you know, you so choose, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yeah, I think we have a tendency to like throw those connections out sometimes like as old fashioned. And I think it's like really sh- short sighted of us to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think those are some super positive possible outcomes, um, to society. But obviously we need to talk about some of these, you know, potential pitfalls. Like Zach and I, one of the reasons we picked this topic is the ethics community is a buzz. Oh yes. A lot of very possible things that caring for our elders with technology can go wrong. And so we, we distilled some of the ones that we thought were the most important and impactful and that, that really jive with us. We're like, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. That's worth for sure. looking out for. And one of those is is thinking about like the soft needs. You know, we talked about the very top; those activities of daily living were more like the physical tasks, and the mental ones were an afterthought. Well, I, I kind of think that that can unfortunately continue potentially. And so, think of it this way: care bots they they function um, and they rely on data to identify the needs, to perform tasks, verify the tasks were completed well enough. And then also consider that if CareBots function that way, you know, what gets measured gets managed. So if they see that a certain client, um, if they see that a certain client's needs and care cannot be measured well, um, thus translated into the data that the CareBots using using to function, mm-hmm. then that need uh, may slip between the cracks. So these, you know, data-friendly tasks, something that can be measured easily, uh, like, you know, reminding someone to take a drug on schedule or relocating a client, those will be completed well. But if a measurement tool is insufficient, if it's kind of hard to measure that need, or if the characteristic for that need is, you know, too amorphous and soft, um, mm-hmm. I think is a good word, then the management might be more lacking over time. So, so we really need to pay attention to the soft needs of older people, especially if, you know, technology becomes their, their first interface with care. We definitely need to be putting a lot of checks in to be like, is, is the mental side really getting an, a soft side, whatever that might be? Are they really being cared for? Right. Like in that Ben video, that's, that's kind of what's that, what that's exemplifying, right? Is that like, while this robot is on top of it, when it comes to like taking your meds and things like that, it's completely insufficient to like aid in that mental health help right like that right. for example the claudia or whatever her name was like she just needed claudine a, yeah claudine yeah she just needed a second right yeah yep. um which i would say that second is was pretty darn good for her mental health um and absolutely insignificant in the grand scheme of things right definitely 
So, Zach, that summarizes everything that we wanted to go in depth on in this topic of, you know, care for elders, disabled clients generally. Talk to me about what you're kind of taking away. What, what do you want to talk more about in the future? What's really interesting to you? Would you love an article about? What I want, really want to see is somebody try to put all these individual pieces together. And that's that's my big takeaway here is it, with a lot of these technologies, they're a lot more um, uh, less mature, like less fleshed out, disparate parts. And, you know, maybe sometimes in the we are here tomorrow section, we envision a path 20 years from now where those pieces are maybe coming together to build a better product. It, with with this topic and with a lot of the technology which we talked about, it almost seems like we're right there. And it just is going to take that push to to bring those pieces together into like maybe a more cohesive unit. Or maybe they find out that that cohesive general unit is going to be really, really hard to do. Right. Right. I think, I think that is really fascinating to think about like, oh, we're there, right? Yeah. We're there like any time now, like something could come here and, and you would love to see someone just try it out. Basically, mm-hmm. you know, someone try their hand at being Tesla and just saying like, we're going to really push this electric car market forward and see, see what happens. Right. I think that's, that's really cool. Additionally, what I think is really cool about this is just how many opportunities are in this space? There's so many places where, you know, old people, they, they aren't the ones making companies for themselves, unfortunately, you know, they're old and retired and, and maybe they don't have the capacity to make tech for themselves. And I think that, you know, there's so many needs here and so many opportunities that I think, it's really cool to be like an elder in the next 20 years. Cause I think you'll start to see a lot of companies say like, we're getting into the space. There's a huge market here with a lot of disposable income and a lot of mm-hmm. needs and a lot of, you know, use for society. Let's start to appeal to them and see, you know, let's interview them. Let's see how they want to live their life. All of these things. And it, maybe we don't get the Tesla or, or whatever, you know, the company that brings everything together. Maybe we instead get little incremental things. Maybe it's the Amazon, Facebook, Google route. You know, I hope there's other companies that start to bubble up too, but having some companies that bubble up and start to ta- tackle little pieces of this, of this pie and slowly grow the space into helping, you know, more things. And eventually, you know, we go from many robots, as you said, Zach, into, you know, just a few. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a really admirable route to take, and I would I would love to see more people push towards that, and and definitely get those older people in the conversation for what they want because it's it's going to be tough to you know really find a balance with the technology to match what old people, clients, you know, disabled people, whatever it might be, um, to really fit what they're looking for. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I'm really excited for where the the technologies that we talked about and the concepts that we talked about in this episode are going like actually right in the near future, like right around the corner, actually. Right. And we actually might have another podcast on a adjacent topic. Absolutely. In the next five seasons. I don't know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometime we'll see. Soon. We'll see. Um, another thing I'm also very excited to see is how the audience responds. So please write to us, whether it's a correction, a question, a fun fact, or just a bit of feedback. We would absolutely love to hear it. Absolutely. So you can send us an email at weareheretomorrow at gmail.com or social media, you know, human to human, probably no uh, digital <laughs> assistant interface. You can follow and tweet at us at, at 
W-A-H-T project and see us on Instagram and Facebook at We Are Here Tomorrow Podcast. If you want to hear more, we are everywhere podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. Stop by your favorite site and subscribe. And if you stop by Apple Podcasts, please leave a review because it helps the podcast immensely. Absolutely. And want to see what others have to say on this topic? Go to weareheretomorrow.com and subscribe to our newsletter each time we release a podcast, we pose a question that's somewhat related to that week's podcast and open the floor to hear you. On behalf of John and I, thank you everyone so much for listening this week and be sure to join us in two weeks with yet another awesome episode. Peace out, everyone. Absolutely. Call your grandma. (laughs) Yep. Call your grandma.